You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. They offer just about every battery under the sun, from car and truck batteries to batteries for your trail cameras and rangefinders. Select retail locations even offer cell phone repair and cracked screen repair. Find a local retail location at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Brought to you by Vortex Optics. Happy Hump Day, everybody, and welcome back to another awesome episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles. As uh, the little intro there mentioned, my name's Dan Johnson, and I only have nine fingers, and that is why we call it the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Now, wouldn't it be weird if it was called, like, I don't know, something different, or it, it was called the Nine Finger Chronicles, and I had ten fingers? Um, I am a clumsy person, so there is a chance that in the future this is um, uh, this this gets changed to the one hand chronicles, or the uh, eight finger chronicles, or the uh, you know eight and a half finger chronicles, depending on the severity of the injury. But uh, we do have a really awesome podcast for you guys today. We're going to be talking with Bo Martonic, and if you don't know who he is. He lives out east. He is a avid whitetail hunter, uh, outdoorsman, just like the rest of us nuts here. And he is the host of the East Meets, east Meets West podcast, where he talks about his passion for the uh, bow hunting in Pennsylvania and then also uh, expanding his knowledge further into the Western game, mule deer, elk, and so on. But uh, this is this is just a straight-up BS session. Um, to be honest with you, we kind of bounce around from, you know, growing up hunting Pennsylvania to uh, prepping for upcoming hunts. You know, this, this is the time of year where we're thinking and, and planning uh, and putting dates on calendars, trying to get all of our uh, scheduling completed for the upcoming seasons and the upcoming hunts and dates and all that stuff. So uh, it's just a good old-fashioned BS session, man, and it's a really good one at that. So uh, where are we at? We got to do a commercial real quick. And today we are talking about Ozonics and Lone Wolf Tree Stands. The, the thing I really like about both those companies is it's a really good pair. It's awesome because it's two products that I don't see myself really hunting without anymore. Um, there's been times where I have forgot a, a jacket, let's say, and I get to the stand and I say, ah, I'm just going to hunt without it and I'm going to be cold and I'm going to try to tough it out. But if I forget my Ozonics, I am... 
I am uh, going back to the truck to get it. Uh, so that's it. I mean, it's it's really a product that I strongly believe in. It emits O3, which is ozone, and it distorts scent molecules, odor molecules. And um, I really think that you guys should go check it out, ozonicshunting.com. Uh, and what, what I really like about it is its functionality inside of the timber and outside of the hunt so being able to dry wash your clothes and soak your clothes basically in this ozone and it kills all the odor and bacteria which means you are washing your clothes less throughout the hunting season it's just less things for you to do the dry wash bag uh, and now they have the dry wash um, closet these two things allow you to just the end of a hunt don't need to worry about your clothes you just throw them in the closet turn on uh, an ozone cycle and you just walk away and your clothes are going to be fresh and ready to go for the next hunt whether that's a morning or afternoon hunt and uh, I love that functionality along with the, the downwind in the stand functionality as well so if you want to find out more about ozonics then you can go to their website and that website is ozonicshunting.com and while you're there and you're looking around and you do decide you want to make a purchase enter the discount code nfc21 that is nfc21 and you're going to get a free dry wash bag with a purchase of a unit and that right there is a pretty good deal lone wolf lone wolf you know, just like uh, just like Lone Wolf or just like Ozonics, Lone Wolf is one of those products where um, it's it's like an, another appendage. And quite frankly, I need another appendage. Uh, but whether you are a fan of the assault, if you're a climber, if you uh, like the bigger alpha, uh, the, these stands now are part of me. Um, I've been using them so long. I, I feel very confident in how they go up with four sticks, right? I, I, I carry four sticks and a stand wherever I go um, on my mobile hunts. I do preset, uh, pre-hang some of my uh, rut hunts, uh, some awesome pinch points, some, some downwind of some popular bedding areas, uh, some known big buck travel corridors. I put an alpha in those trees, but when it's time to run and gun and get in deep, get in quiet, get in fast, then I'm going with my assault. So um, just head on over to lonewolfhuntingproducts.com. And the best part about, I mean, made in America, awesome company, awesome products. The, this, is, this is the best. And I don't know why more people aren't taking advantage of this, but because I get to see the, the stats on this, but 9FC21. 9FC21 is a discount code that's going to save you $50 off of all purchases over uh, $200. Bucks. So you're saving 25% on, uh, you're saving 25% by going to their website and purchasing online as opposed to going to uh, a big box store or uh, a dealer or whatever and picking it up in store for a full retail price. This is a huge savings and also this will get you in any tree this will this will get you into that mobile game and it will it will make you a better hunter straight up so lonewolfhuntingproducts.com other than that we are done with uh whoring out uh so they say and uh let's get right into today's bs session with bo martonic three two one all right on the phone with me today mr bo martonic What's up, man? 
How's it going, Dan? It's going good. You down for a BS session today? Yeah, I'm I'm good for the BS session. It's a nice sunny day here in Pennsylvania, and I'm looking forward to talking to you. Yeah, I tell you what, um, like you've how how many years or how long have you done your your podcast, the East Meets West podcast? It'll be three years in uh, July first. Okay, three years. Yep. And I've, I've been doing Nine Finger Chronicles for a while now and Sportsman's Nation for a while now. And this is like the first, I think the first time we've ever, we've never met in person, have we? No, I don't no. think we, no, we haven't. All right. So never met in person and just very little communication between us. So I know that you have a really good podcast and I was like, hell, I want to, I, I want to talk to this guy. Yeah, no, I've been, I, it's funny because. I had, well, I've listened to your Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. I listened to you back um, a while back when you were doing a lot of stuff with Mark and Wired to Hunt and everything. And, and uh, yeah, I'm surprised our, our paths haven't crossed at this point. So I guess I own a little bit of that. That's all right. Well, I tell you what, we're crossing streams today uh, like Ghostbusters. So all right. um, we're going to just kind of talk about whatever but before we get into that we got to do the, the the standard intro here where i ask you where you're from and what do you do for a living so i'm from a little town in a place called l county pennsylvania and i for a living i'm an environmental health and safety manager for a manufacturing plant and then have a side business on the side, East Meets West Outdoors, which has the East Meets West Hunt podcast underneath that umbrella there. Nice. All right. So what does an environmental manufacturing representative or whatever you said you do, what do you do? <laughs> um, so there's a couple different things. Like, So basically, to, to break it down, there's environmental health and safety and I guess security too that them responsible for there. So the environmental side is anything that has to do with the air, has anything to do with the water, and has anything to do with waste. So anything that we make graphite electrodes that are for the steel mills. And so anything that goes out our stacks, making sure that the air emissions that we're putting out, that we're staying within the the limitations that are put in place by the state, um, making sure we're not polluting the water in any ways from any sort of runoff and then um, waste, which is just managing all the waste and recycling and stuff that goes on without that with through the plant Um, from the safety side of things, um, managing programs, trying to keep the site within uh, the OSHA. Everyone knows that name that nobody likes to hear that name, but try to keep them within the OSHA limitations, doing training for employees, creating programs, managing contractors, kind of that, sort of deal and then just like the security with the facility and um workers compensation if anybody gets injured managing those claims anything along those lines gotcha so it sounds like you're busy most days yeah yeah it's a it's a steady 50 hour a week job that's for sure yeah what did you go to school for to get this position I went for safety management. Okay. Yep. I went to uh, Slippery Rock University, which is in Western Pennsylvania. Gotcha. Uh, born and raised Pennsylvania your whole life? Yeah. I've, uh, yeah, like I said, I grew up in this small town that I live in again now, but I'd moved away for college and moved back. And then I moved to the Pittsburgh area for a while and then wasn't uh, really feeling the whole suburb lifestyle there and uh came back to the middle of nowhere where 
where I have grown up hunting my whole family's here and everything. I, I like it. Gotcha. So is Pennsylvania one of those um, states where there are, it's like a tale of two cities where you have the big metro areas like Pittsburgh and Philly, uh, and then you have what's in between where it's more not that? Yeah. Yeah. Pennsylvania is uh, weird. You have like the, the Pittsburgh, Harrisburg, Philly areas. And then other than that, it's it's very rural and like even some of the other cities are pretty small um, in comparison and, you know, not as populated. You have there's a lot of farm country in Pennsylvania. And then where I live is not really much farms. It's more of what the the Appalachian region, yeah. more more hills, Appalachian plateau, some flat spots, big timber, big woods type stuff. And that, that is like in the center of the state or like center east of the state, right? No, it's it's like uh, northwest, north central kind of. No, okay, northwest, north central. And then yep. that kind of mountainous terrain runs south out of there into like what what borders you to the south? Kentucky? It, um, Maryland, Maryland, Virginia. Okay, yep, yeah, that's um, right. West Virginia is in there. And then you get into like the Kentucky, North Carolina uh, Tennessee, those gotcha. places, but yeah, that, that whole Appalachian mountain region kind of runs up that, um, that whole band there. Gotcha. All right. So what is like, this is a high level question and you can take it however you want to take it, but how is hunting in PA from your point of view? What is deer hunting like there? I'll, I'll start off by saying the deer hunting tradition in Pennsylvania is I mean, again, I live here, so it's a little bit uh, subjective, but I think it's one of the strongest in the country. I think Michigan is very similar, um, but it's a very strong hunting. I mean, like there's not a place around where I live that like a manufacturing place, any sort of workplace that works on the first day of rifle season, um, schools are out. Like it's a big hunting tradition state um, from that standpoint. And then as far as like the hunting quality goes, um, Pennsylvania, I, I think is a pretty good opportunity, but it, it definitely depends on where you're at. You know, so some of the farm country areas have a lot of deer. Um, but from what, from the little that I've spent in some of those areas, the, the quality, um, isn't that great, um, from an age perspective, but there's a lot of deer. And then you get up to kind of where I'm at, there's not a whole lot of deer, but, um, it, it's, it's, it's difficult hunting from being just thick wooded terrain, you know, unbroken timber and that type of area has in the last, I'd say 15 years has really produced some really upper age class deer. And, and I honestly think that it's some, it's some of the best, it's some of my favorite hunting. I've hunted some other States, uh, for whitetails and everything. And I think it's, it's, it's up there. It's the, it's, I think the success rates are lower, but, um, if you really put the time in and, and want to have that kind of experience where you're not around a lot of people and, and are willing to sit a few days, you know, sometimes even up to three, four days without seeing a deer, um, you have a chance at some really quality deer. So it, I guess it depends on your goals and what you're looking for out of it. But I, I think Pennsylvania's hunting is, is pretty good. Yeah. I've talked to a lot of guys throughout the course of this podcast and just BSing with people online and stuff. And 
states like Michigan, states like New York, states like Pennsylvania. And I think I think uh, statistically, those are the top three states in the nation as far as hunting license sales. Like the number of people who buy hunting licenses are the highest in that state or in those states. And, you know, given the populations of those states, it makes, you know, perfect sense. At, at the cost of people bitching about a how hard it is, you know, it's like, oh, dude, it's so pressured, everything's pressured, and and, and b the there's no big deer in uh, in those states, right? Uh, everything that's brown, it's down, or forkies get shot, or whatever. Yeah. Do you have that same opinion of what everybody else says? I don't. Okay. I don't at all. Actually, I think. Um, I, I think it depends on where, again, where you're hunting at. Like when I was hunting down around Pittsburgh and I hunted some public pieces that were close to the city, they were exactly what you described. There was, uh, it was, you couldn't get away from anybody. There was, it was frustrating. It was difficult. But if you're willing to travel a little bit and get outside of that, I think that it can be incredible. Like there's the last couple of years, I think the hunting pressure has gotten a little bit worse, um, even in this this area of the state. But there'll be some archery seasons that I can go on public land and not run into another hunter. Yeah. Um, rifle season is a little different, but um, it's it's not. It's I think it used to be a lot worse than it is. And in my opinion, the, the antler restrictions that they put in back in I think it was two thousand three, two thousand two, somewhere in that time frame, has helped with um the whole brown is down mentality yeah. and has really has grown so just it's it's i can't see any other reason on why i mean i'm sure there's some other reasons i think the the license sales are down from what they used to be so that probably has a little bit of an impact as well but the the age class of deer is is pretty it's pretty incredible. The the buck that i shot this last year i just got the age back on him at eight and a half Ooh. and there was another one that I'd killed at nine and a half and you get, you're getting some older age class deer. They don't always have giant racks, but there's, there's older deer. There's some bigger deer. Um, it just depends on where, where you choose to go. Um, and, and what you want to do to work for it, I guess. Yeah. And that seems to be <clears throat> the, the theme, you know, of all of the podcasts, you know, like in the hunting industry, um, I would say that the content that we all put out, you know, there's, there's a lot of shows who talk about the same thing and there's that theme, right? The theme is how hard do you want to work for it? What's the time that you're willing to dedicate to this activity, uh, to get what you want. And that's some big mature buck. Right. Um, and I don't know, I still, I definitely feel like there's room in for those conversations to happen because st- like not a lot of people want to dedicate it. They want to go out and they want to hunt and they want to shoot a big deer, but they don't want to do what we just talked about. Yeah, you're, you're, you're so right. It's like, and, and I'm not, I'm not going to say that like every time, every year I go out and I'm able to shoot one of these big old deer that just, that doesn't happen. But I, I feel like every year at least have an opportunity and that's what putting in, a lot of time and if you're willing to put in time scouting and and you know like for someone like myself I'm I don't have any kids right now that I'm not married so I am able to put more time in than most and I fully understand that but like and but I'm scouting a ton of different areas if you have like a couple areas you're looking at and can just dedicate some a little bit of time a weekend here and there to 
to be able to scout that and get to know it. And then, you know, say you have your rutcation, you have a week off that you can spend there and you're willing to grind it out. There's so much opportunity with that. Yeah. All right. So I'm kind of, I'm going to throw you kind of a curveball question. We're going to pivot just a bit and, and talk about if some guy who, uh, he's maybe just a couple years into hunting and he came up and he asked you and he, he's, let's just say he's hunting the same type of area that you're hunting. And he says, he says, Bo, man, man I, I, I'm having trouble finding deer. I'm having trouble getting, you know, with my bow, I'm, I'm having trouble getting within shooting di- distance of, of a, a good buck. This is a loaded question, but how, what are you going to tell this guy to help him get closer, better, whatever? Uh, there's a couple different things. What I would say in like the types of areas that I'm at is to try to look at a map and find areas that have diversity with, um, as far as the cover and the vegetation goes. Um, and then depending on if you're in some of the areas that have more terrain and where that correlates to that. So deer, no matter where you're at, they love edges. And also with, so you have the edges, we have a lot of logging cuts and you have stands of big timber, you have stands of hemlocks and pine trees and a whole and swamps in some of the plateau areas and things. And if you can find those types of things that offer a bunch of different, food food a bunch of different brows that's where i think you're going to find the best chance like to up your odds so if you're a person that's struggling with it trying to go to those areas and spend less time sitting in the tree and more time walking around and learning it uh it would be my my biggest advice to that person okay so we all know that a regular guy can or gal can go out, they can educate themselves on hunting equipment, hunting gear. Um, they can listen to podcasts. They can, you know, read arc articles. They can do a, one of a thousand different things to educate themselves, to get closer to a deer. Like, you know, the, like we talk about on our podcast or whatever. Now this guy wants to take the next step. He's been successful doing what you just told us to do, but now he wants to dedicate seasons and time and energy to locating the, the top tier bucks in wherever he's hunting. Um, what kind of tweaks to your original comments would you tell this guy now? Um, I'm saying that in, in this scenario, there's, there's a, a couple things. One of them is looking at the pressure, the pressure side of it. I mean, some of the areas that do get high pressure still hold big deer, but the, what you're, what the difference is there is the cover. So, what I've learned is you have to be willing to not see a lot of deer to, if you're trying to hunt big deer, cause they've moved differently yeah. and these deer just love cover and, and where they feel safe. So if you're in some steeper terrain, instead of hunting that Oak flat on the top, try hunting down over on the side of the side of the hill, you know, on a, a bench below or on the kind of the steeper sides. That's just, just over the edge where they're not, where they feel safe traveling and, in the, the daylight and try, and trying to get closer to under, you need to understand, you know, essentially where these t- type of deer like to live and where they like to spend most of their daylight hours. And that all comes down to trying to find that cover where they feel safe. It doesn't mean they'll be bedded in the middle of that thick cover, 
but that typically means that they have a, an escape to be able to get into that and they have everything in that spot and and again going back to the steeper terrain they like those points of the hills but they're not typically going to be walking around on the top but that's where most of the hunting pressure comes to so to have the once i started learning that you know kind of not just looking at the biggest trails and looking at you know the most rubs and all that stuff like that's not where you're going to have the most opportunity at those big deer it's in those places that they feel safe and which typically correlates with cover and some some terrain where other hunters aren't going to be at gotcha all right so with all that said and in the environment that you're hunting in how important is access routes then to to those locations uh so i think access routes are really important but a little bit different than i would say in areas that have higher deer density so i believe that you can hunt the same tree or the same area multiple times without putting as much pressure on as you would in an area with more deer because there's not as many deer so your entrance and exits aren't uh they're, they're not as not as critical from the standpoint yeah. of worrying about blowing deer out but what the one thing that you do have especially with areas with terrain is you can use the the wind and the thermals to your advantage so much so like if i'm going in to hunt up on a ridge somewhere i'm gonna if if it's able to happen i try to come in from the bottom in the mornings because that's when the thermals are pulling down over the hill and it might be a, a shittier walk going up than being able to walk across that top but that's probably where they're feeding on that flat where there's the acorns and the oaks and everything so trying to come in from the bottom and if you're doing an evening you know coming in from the top a little bit differently yeah. so those are the types of things that i i look at with it but as far as um putting pressure on say you know one stand location or one spot i don't think it's as critical as it would be in an area with higher deer density yeah what's the like how important is predominant wind direction then when you let's let's say that the wind's light it's not gusting it's not going crazy it's a light wind do thermals in in some of this bigger terrain trump the predominant winds yeah i yeah i believe they do and and you also have to kind of you have to worry about just swirling because there's, I have not, there's very rare times that I can find a spot where I can get a steady wind all day. And even thermals aside, even if you're playing the thermals, like you, the, the predominant wind, I always look at it, but it depends on where my location is. If I'm going to be on this side of this hill where there's some different little, uh, um, little nooks kind of coming out of the hill and maybe a little drainage that's coming up. Those things are going to throw just about everything out the window. And, and I think a lot of times with the, the deer and the way they bed in this type of terrain and areas, they have, they pay more attention to what they're able to see from their bed more so than the wind. I I mean, anything you've ever heard about, you know, okay. So the side, they like to be on the leeward side because you got the, the predominant wind is coming across the top and then you have the thermals that are coming up and that creates that safe zone. Well, that doesn't always play out that perfectly. So if, if there was like, okay, so you have an East facing Ridge and a, and a, on the other side, the West facing side, even if you have a, a Westerly wind, 
that doesn't mean they're always going to be bedded on that east side, especially if there's more cover on the other side, but they're able to see outside of that cover, if that makes any sense. So yeah. they're bedded on the edge of that cover and can see that seems to be, at least from what I've found, more prevalent than specifically on wind. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, the the, the whole playing the wind, man, when, when a lot of guys say, hey, Dan, he, you know, like, here's a map. Can you tell me what the wind's doing in there? I'm like, dude, no, I can't unless I'm no. unless I'm there, right? And there's there there are a couple good rules of thumb that a, a guy could could follow that may help him become better at playing the wind. But the wind does so many crazy things that it could it you could walk in look at a map and go oh yeah definitely the wind's going to you know follow the predominant wind here and it's going to do that but yep. what you don't know is the vegetation that's there it could be thick could be blocking could be you know it could be an updraft could be a downdraft temperature could play a role it's just it's so hard yeah. to to wind do that speed. yeah absolutely all those things are so different and like and and I, I don't want to make it sound like it's <clears throat> it's impossible or I don't look at the wind direction to kind of try to go my spots. If it's the first time in there, I'm gambling a lot. Um, but typically, like when I'm scouting, I'll carry milkweed with me and try to understand, you know, with certain conditions what what the wind's doing. Like th- there'll be areas. There's an area that that I've been hunting. This whole side hill is covered in hemlocks, so it's. And that wind direction never does anything besides go down the hill because it's so covered from the sun. It never heats up enough to to create that upward thermal. So it's always coming down. So I will typically set up on the lower side of where I think that they would be coming at and which is kind of opposite of what you would think that you would want to do in that scenario. But that's that specific spot. And that's where it's important to kind of when you're scouting and and getting you know the boots on the ground with it there's definitely rules of thumb like you said and that's that's more of a starting point for me and then as i i get time in there you you learn specifics and you just got to pay attention to it yeah yeah man and and uh hence why i guess we both lean towards that mobile hunter side right because you go into an area and you gotta yeah at some point you have to commit right but you also have to be willing to say, shit, this isn't going to work and get down and go somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're totally right. Like yeah. it's, <laughs> I don't know if you're like me with this, but like picking the tree is, um, if I have to pick it completely on the fly is it takes way longer than it should. Yeah. Um, I second guess myself more times than <laughs> you're like, speaking my language, it's, it's, man. <laughs> then I start sweating because I'm getting anxiety. Because right. I don't know what tree I'm picking. It is. It's, it's pretty comical to be honest. If there was someone watching me do yeah. that, but uh, <laughs> I have this, I yeah. have this dumb rule where if I'm going into a set, right, I can never take a, I, I never take a step back to my truck. Right. Unless the wind allows me to, because, you know, if, if you if you're casting some co- sort of scent walking in and then you backtrack and then you set up in a tree behind you, there's that chance that whatever's coming through the area could potentially hit your ground scent or something in the area and then you're screwed anyway. So I am always yep. like I, I never go backwards in, in a in a running gun. I just kind of even if the even if it's just a little bit off, I never go backwards because, you know, the next day maybe I'll come in and, and set up behind myself. But on those first time ends, man, it's just like, I, I don't know. I get real, 
I get real anal <laughs> about the where I need to be. Yeah, uh, that's that's an interesting. I never I never thought of it that way. Maybe that would help me make a decision if <laughs> right. I'm like, okay, now I don't need to go back. Cancels can, all of it so. out. Cancels all of it out. <laughs> right. I like it. All right. So, um, let's talk about this upcoming year because here's I'll just kind of fill you in on what I'm doing, and I want to hear what what your your strategy or planning is for the upcoming seasons. Right now, I am planning all every like it's planning season for me turkey hunting is done for me um i'll be getting trail cameras and minerals out here in a little bit uh, probably this month and then from there it's just planning my hunts waiting to see if i draw elk in wyoming um planning my mule deer hunt in south dakota potentially going to missouri for a whitetail hunt uh, and then obviously the rut on in here in iowa i want to hear what your strategy or method is to putting your season together for all of your, not only your, your PA hunts, but all of your out of state hunts. Yeah. So I, um, the way I kind of look at my year and based off of, as we talked about earlier, you know, I have a full-time job and I have vacation days that I need to allot to that. And, and also with that being said, I have uh, a girlfriend that doesn't live close to me, so I have to set aside days. No, I shouldn't say have to. I want to set aside days <laughs> to to see her and be able to, you know, on that side of my life too. So I kind of have to balance things as everybody does. But yeah. when it comes to, so as I kind of plan through those things, what I'm looking at is I always want to do one Western hunt or one adventure style hunt, whatever that might be. And then I have uh, at least a week set aside for whitetails. And the last few years, I've been sticking around in Pennsylvania because it's taken taken me longer to be able to do it. But I always have a Western hunt plan based off of um, up until this point, I've only done over-the-counter hunts as I started building points in states. And I start building out, you know, what I kind of want to do over the next five years and so uh, as I'm moving, uh, like as I'm kind of navigating those things, I have, you know, the over-the-counter type hunts that are more of my fallbacks. And now that I've been building points for the last five, six years, I am starting to, you know, figure out when's the right time to do those specific hunts. And then when it comes back to the whitetail side of things, Pennsylvania, that's where I spend the most time scouting. That's where I feel the most like probably the way you are with Iowa, like that's where you, that's, that's where you feel home. That's where you yeah. feel like, you know, and I, and I would just, I've left during the, the rut here to go and hunt in Alberta and everyone would be like, Oh, that's like awesome. Why would you want to, why wouldn't you want to go to Alberta over Pennsylvania? But it's just for me, when you put so much time into a spot and, or an area and, you learn it. Like I, I feel like I've earned that more than anything. So I I just, that's always my first plan. And then if I end up shooting a deer early or before that, then I have backup plans of Ohio, New York, the neighboring States here that, that I've hunted also in the past. So that's kind of how I look at it. And then, so like for me this year, I am waiting for the draw results, but I'm pretty sure I should draw a, a Colorado archery mule deer tag. Oh, buddy. Um, so that'll be a, a high country mule deer hunt. It's something I've never done, something that I've just dreamt of doing. I've hunted elk up until this point, and 
it took me four years and I finally killed my first elk with a bow. And now I want to, I want to move on to try mule deer. And that's, I'm really looking forward to that. Hunt. I'll be spending almost two weeks out there Oh, nice! and uh, backpack hunting. So it's, it's going to be, it's going to be pretty incredible. <laughs> um, how many points did it take you to draw that hike, that mule deer hunt? Uh, I have four points, four points. The, okay. The unit, the unit takes a little bit less. Um, and I did that just because of how many extra people have been applying. There's been kind of a point creep there. Yeah. So I'm trying to, um, make sure that I'm able to draw it rather than taking a gamble with it. So me and two of my, my hunting partners, both are in the same point and are the same point level and we're, we're all applying to, to go together. So, yeah. So that is my alt, like, that's one of my bucket list hunts is a high country mule deer hunt. And, uh, I have some points in Wyoming that I might be dropping, not this year, but in the upcoming years, but Colorado, because I don't know, there's something about just high altitude, getting high up there, going back deep and just, I don't know, glassing for a big mule deer that nobody knows about is just kind of real tempting to me. And, uh, it, I, it I should, I should start, I should start planning better for that. Cause I don't have any points in Colorado right now. Yeah. It's, and, but the nice thing about Colorado is, is you can, you can draw a lot of, like, there's not really any terrible areas in Colorado for mule deer. Like yeah. if you look at a unit that has high country, it can be pretty good. And a lot of them you can draw with zero points. You just have to apply. You can't yeah. just go to Walmart and get the tag. So you just have to apply, but there's, I, I know I have friends that go every year and just hunt zero point units and they'll like put it as their second choice so they can still build points. And then every three to four years, maybe hunt one of the more premium type units, but there's, there's good hunting all, all through it from what, from what I've been told. And where I've hunted elk, um, in one place in Colorado that was right up around tree line and did a lot of glassing and, and I would see like, anywhere from seven to 10 bucks and watch them bed. And I was just like, man, I wish I had a tag. Like it just, it's, there's just something about a big fuzzy horn mule deer that just like gets me so fired up. I've been, I've been doing some e-scouting last night. I was up late just going through and just <laughs> e-scouting and, and, and my, my cousin who's going on the hunt with me or we, we should be going on the hunt together. He's we're, we're going through and we're, getting down on you know google earth on the ground level and looking at what it looks like and just getting fired up you know yeah. it's, the hunt's not until you know end of august early september and it's but we're just getting fired up thinking about it yeah i tell you what that uh that e-scouting on google maps or whatever app you use man that that can be like a, oh i blacked out i've been doing this for two hours type of deal oh easily. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing on your phone uh what what uh, you're supposed to do this oh shit i'm sorry uh yeah well i'm playing it <laughs> <laughs> yep oh man I, I can get so into it and yeah. the next thing you know i'm like i'm all over the unit and i'm looking yeah. at all these different places and i i just find myself panning over the maps and and dropping waypoints and and doing all of it like it's just I love that planning process when yeah. it comes to these, that that's the one thing like, okay. So like I said, how much I love hunting Pennsylvania cause I put all this time in. Well, I'm also putting time into these out of state ones. It's just different. Yeah. And I feel like the anticipation just builds and builds cause you don't know what's, 
what 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 you might run into and yeah. like for me my goal uh this year with that hunt is to shoot a mule deer buck that looks like a mule deer buck yeah. you know like i don't want to i don't want to shoot one that looks like a, a spike um but i want something that's got you know it has the the forks and yeah it doesn't need to be a 180 190 inch deer my goal is to kill uh a, a nice mule deer buck and that's yeah. that's kind of the way i'm going into it and and, uh, you know, it's the way that all the, you know, I think most of us do like a progression with whitetails, you know, you start, um, with getting some under your belt and then eventually you want a little bit more, um, you want to chase those, those older deer, the ones that might be a little bit more challenging. Um, but I, th- I think this hunt's going to be challenging enough. <laughs> yeah. Well, especially when you're up about, you know, 11, 12, 13, depending on where you're at, 13,000 feet in the air, that uh that's a whole different uh bag of cats (laughs) yeah it's it's uh, i know you you've been out west quite a few times and everything but how it's it's crazy um no matter how much you prepare for it like as far as being in shape and then the first time you step out of the truck you feel like you haven't done anything in the last year yeah The (laughs) the last time i went to colorado i trained i mean backpacks for I think I was hiking four times a day. I was doing cardio. I was doing a shit ton of running. I was doing everything that you were supposed to do. And I was, I dropped weight. I felt healthy and good. I acclimated into uh, even 24, maybe over 24 hours. Once I got to 10,000 feet where our camp was at, uh, the next morning, get up there. And it's like the first 500 yards out of camp your your heart rate's already at 170 and you're just like (laughs) (laughs) yeah flatlanders you know yep that's that's it's so funny it's like it no matter what that's what happens but i think that what what i've learned about like when you when i do feel like i'm in the best shape that i could possibly be you do recover quick quicker and you do acclimate a little bit faster yes and the biggest the biggest part of that that i've learned is don't go hard out of the gate yeah. Like you're there for, say you're there for a week. Like if you burn yourself out and get sick and get altitude sickness from trying to go so hard at the first day, yeah. then you're just, you're ruining the rest of your hunt. So by, you know, we're actually going out, the one guy I'm going with, he was in the hospital for altitude sickness before. So we're going out like three or four days before the season and just spending time at, at elevation, not doing a whole lot for the first day or so, doing some short hikes, maybe glassing some spots closer to the road, you know, doing some scouting and then packing in, um, a day or two before the season and, and just taking it easy. And even though that limits the amount of actual hunting days that we have, I think those would be more quality days than if we were just to go charging into it for that amount of time. Yeah. I, myself, you know, I, I take that day, that 24 hours to acclimate, but I also, every time I go out to Colorado, uh, or if I'm going to be, you know, high altitude, like, you know, anything like eight or over, I am, I go to my doctor and I say, I want some pills and she's, you know, I'm going to be up at this high and I'm going to, you know, I don't want altitude sickness. And I, I found that I take a couple of these pills a couple of days before I get you know, on this routine. And then I take one a day while I'm up, up there and I haven't had any issues with it at all. I'm, I'm actually going to do that this year. I had a, I had a guy who listened to my podcast when I was talking about it that I'm good friends with. He called me the other day. He's like, 
man, the elevation you're going to be hunting at, he's like, go, I can't remember the name of the medication, but, uh, diox, uh, yeah, diox, I can't remember. I'm going to butch it, but I was like, uh, so I'm, I'm definitely gonna, gonna do that. I had, I had bought like these altitude pills, um, from that are over the counter. I've got from mountain ops that have, that have worked good for me, but I think at the, the level that where I'm going to be at, you know, at that anywhere from 12 to 13,000 feet, like I'm going to take any precaution that I can. (laughs) Yeah. Especially when you're putting that much time and energy into, in planning into a hunt like this. Uh, it, to me that $45, I think for 12 pills or however many it was, was definitely worth it. Yeah. Oh yeah. hundred percent. And it's, and it doesn't hurt you. Like, it's no. not like there's any negative effects, even if you were able to acclimate without it. Like, yeah. so that's, for me, it just seems like that's, that should be the route to go. Yeah. Cause, and I'm I glad had, to hear that you had success with it. Oh, absolutely. And I've had altitude sickness before. Um, I went up, like drove all, all the way through the night to Colorado with my buddy. One time we drove right up, you know, uh, spent the one night in Denver and the next morning, we got into Denver real late. The next morning we tried to climb a 14er and I got throw up Ooh. sick. And it like to the point where I was, while he was finishing the hike, I was thrown up in this parking lot area. And eventually we had to get back down and I felt like I had a, a really nasty hangover for the rest of the, that day and the, half the next day until uh, I kind of recovered from it. But man, altitude sickness is no joke, man. It, it's almost immobilizing. Yeah. My buddy, when he had it, he did this, he drove all the way out to New Mexico, um, from the East coast here and they hiked right up and they were up pretty high the first day in. And he got so sick that my cousin was looking at him. He's like, you, and he was like breathing. He he said, he sounded like a gut gut shot deer. And he was like, so he, they moved down a little bit lower and he just like sounded terrible. Eventually took him to the hospital and they said that if he would have went another day, he probably would have died. He was coughing up blood, all of this stuff. I had Damn. to put him on oxygen, and it was like it was really, really bad. And what he had, the what caused that worse than he'd been at elevation before, but had Lyme's disease, and the medication that he was on for that kills your immune system, and it made it that much worse. Yeah. So that was um, that the, there was some different things there, but still, it was it's just a scary um, you know, possibility there. Yeah. Just another thing you got to plan for. Um, yep. So, you know, how do you go about, like, I, I got off the phone, uh, well, I did a podcast with uh, a guy from go hunt, right. And those guys are, you know, uh, really good at helping people plan out like a, like a strategy. Right. And I have a, I have a set of bucket list hunts that I want to accomplish. I'm sure you do. What is your thought process going into that? Whether it's like, hey, this year I'm going to do this, but in five, ten, however many years, I want to, I want to kind of spread my wings and do something different. Yeah, that's that's been a, a thing that's been kind of evolving, and I think in the last couple of years I've dialed it down a little bit better because I've like had these ideas, but I wasn't, I was kind of mindlessly buying points and not really planning when I was going to use them and do yeah. things. So now I'm kind of like. I'm looking at it like, all right, every, basically I feel like every five years I want to do a a bigger hunt. Like last year I went to Alaska for a a caribou hunt and that was 
incredible. And I'm like, I need to do this again. But it's from a financial standpoint, it's just not possible for me to do that every year and uh, and a logistical standpoint. But I was just like, so, all right, I want to, you know, do some of these bigger hunts, some of these big adventure hunts every so many years. So I kind of have that looked at and those are ones that I'm playing out further and then you look at things like elk um that were it's it's getting harder and harder but a lot of the times you have over-the-counter possibilities and once you have the gear it's kind of a lower level from a, a financial standpoint to get into that so those are always like kind of my um I don't want to say fallbacks but kind of yeah fallback plans is being able to hunt those over the counter and then I look at like all right most of mine is around places I want to go even more so than a specific species. Like I want to hunt the Montana, um, Missouri river breaks cause that breaks country is just so cool to me. And so I've been putting in for points there and I'm planning on hunting elk there next year. And so I kind of build that out with like, you know, having, on a, a annual basis, I can hunt some of the over-the-counter spots every two to three years, be able to hunt uh, a little bit of a better maybe draw tag, and then having like a, a five to six year high, like really top of like more dream style hunts. Yeah. So that's kind of the way that I've done it um, with kind of planning there. And I have a, I have a whole spreadsheet in Google sheets that I have all my points laid out and kind of when I think I should, I can be able to hunt some of these places and, and just make sure I'm planning for it from a financial standpoint. So I'm not just like trying to scrape up money at the last minute to go, you know, planning for all of that. And also having all that stuff written down helps me make better financial decisions as far as like, if I want to, uh, go buy a, a purchase that sounds awesome at the time. And I'm like, well, is this going to kind of set me back from my goals or, you know, and it just helps me when I have it written down. Yeah. And that's, that's where I need to be. Like I'm starting the, the, the preference point purchase. Like I'm, I'm into that right now, but only in really one state, just Wyoming at this point. Um, I think yep. I'm going to start applying for some of these lottery hunts in uh different states so that way i don't know like so my thought is okay this year i'll wait and see if i draw wyoming all right if wyoming doesn't work out i'll next year maybe i'll try to get one more point preference point and meanwhile i'll try to draw some lottery in new mexico or whatever or a lot a lottery hunt somewhere else and um or go back to colorado and hunt over the counter there with uh with my buddies so i don't know i'm i'm kind of i i need to do a better job of writing it down like you said and documenting it and that way it's in front of me and i see it all the time and i go okay no no i'm not going to do this i'm not going to do this i'm going to focus on this you know maybe i won't buy this piece of hunting equipment i'm going to dedicate that money towards a preference point or a um uh, or you know uh, to save for a couple years so that when i do draw that tag i can have a very good experience yeah i I think that that's that's been the biggest thing that's helped me is being able to look at it like from not just what i'm going to do this year because like if you come into the spring and say i want to go out west this fall it's a lot more difficult than if you're thinking about the following year already because then you can look at when the deadlines are there's so many different deadlines for tag applications and buying points and Every state has different rules and it takes 
a long time to be able to learn those things. But if you kind of set it up where you like, all right, here's a goal. This is a place I'd love to go to. Then you have time to learn it, uh, learn the, the system, how many points it's going to take you and kind of be able to understand that experience. And for me, it takes a lot of, a lot more stress off by doing it that way too. And yeah. those, those lottery plays, like you're talking about like New Mexico and stuff. I think those are awesome because you're not just worried about, especially like people like us that were I, late to the point game, I guess, from yeah. people that have been doing it forever. Um, like New Mexico, you have just as good a chance as anybody else, yeah. even if they've been putting in for 15 years, you know, to, to be able to draw. And I, I like that. It's not great from a planning side of it if you're like relying on that, yeah. but the results also come out early enough that if it falls through, you can still apply for Colorado or some of these other places as well. So, yeah. And that's, uh, that would, it would suck and be awesome at the same time where it's just like, Oh, I put in preference points for this, this hunt. And then I also draw, you know, uh, the lot got selected in the lottery for this hunt. Next thing you know, you're spending, you know, the entire month of September out there and then you get home and all your, closer in a bag and because your wife kicked you out <laughs> yeah because you can't you can't turn in the tag <laughs> right exactly 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 but my wife would not care she's like we'll pick one you're you, like i i can't be a single mom for an entire month which i don't, don't know blame her i'd have to i'd have to test that theory <laughs> so so what what is your bucket list as far as uh, Western or other big game hunts? Um, I, I really, after going to Alaska last year, I am just fascinated by that country and just like not having to deal with any people being so remote, flying in on a bush plane. Like that is, so for me, I want to, I want to hunt moose in Alaska. Yeah. That's one of them. And then I guess the, the, the stretch goal is to do a sheep hunt um i I think that's all it seems to be always the top of most hunters um dreams i i would love to say i had a solid plan for that but i don't um they're just from a financial standpoint they're so uh they're so heavy from the pocketbook so it's (laughs) that that but that would be my dream but i think like my next obtainable one would be a moose hunt yeah and in a lot so that's what i'm just a do-it-yourself either drop you know, drop camp style hunt would be, um, what I, what I think I'd like to do next. Yeah. I'll tell you what, what about- yeah, dude. So right now, as far as what is short term in front of me, mule deer, like I want to kill, like, just like you, a mule deer. I want something that looks like a mule deer. I want, you know, it doesn't have to be giant, but I want to kill a mule deer. And I, <laughs> I have this problem where I've been going out to South Dakota and I say, okay, Here's how much time I'm going after a buck. Anything past this point, I'm going after a doe. I hit that point. I, I, I start stalking in on does. Then I see another buck. And then I just move that timeline a little bit further. And then I end up, you know, like like I did at the end of this last hunt, firing 60-yard bombs at, um, a, you know, mule deer, which I should you know, I shouldn't have done, but I'm telling you the truth. Uh, you know, like, uh, a mule deer doe the last possible day, cause it was close to the road. And, uh, I walked away with just less arrows. So, um, mule deer is on the top of my list. Short term elk is on the top of my list, but then it starts to go like, I want to shoot an antelope too. 
but like I dream about caribou. Like I want to kill a, a a good representation of a caribou up in Canada or Alaska, um, and then the I, I can remember watching like these Outdoor Channel adventure shows, I, and it may not have even been a um, an Outdoor Channel back in the day, but it was like this guy would get in a boat for like five days. They'd they'd fly him up river. And then it was a five day hunt down with like two guys, two other guys, one guide and then another guy. And it was during the moose rut and they would, they'd go like a mile down. They would, you know, call and then they'd wait and then they'd go, you know, further down the river and call and just do that for five straight days or go in a little bit or whatever and uh, do that all with, all with archery tackle. So the, the moose and caribou, are like these dream hunts that I th- I think if I'm gonna if I'm gonna I'm gonna make a bold statement here I'm gonna say five years in five years I'll be going on a moose hunt inside oh, five that's, years yeah what you just described just gets gets me worked up oh, yeah, like man. that that the one thing that I've been worried about with uh, the flow moose hunt is I am not someone that I I would feel comfortable doing it myself running yeah. a raft down those. <laughs> You yeah. Know, so like I'd have to be with somebody either guided or have somebody that I go with that's very experienced in that. Um, I did some whitewater type rafting in, uh, in Alaska. I don't know if it's called whitewater. It was just a river in Alaska, but, um, I was with someone that had done it their whole life there and it was just awesome. Yeah. And I was like, that would be the ultimate hunt, but the, the caribou hunt just, to tell you and kind of get you pumped up a little bit more was so awesome where you get dropped off and you don't see another person. And when you see some of those, those caribou coming through and, and just, and watching grizzly bears way up on the top eating blueberries, like yeah. it's, it's something that just doesn't seem like it's even in this world. Yeah. And that is my only like, you can make like you can call me a pussy if you want. I don't care. Um, but I'm I don't know how I feel about grizzly bears. Like black bears, <laughs> maybe okay, no big deal. Um, but grizzly bears, they will just eat you in one bite. <laughs> like, when when you were out there in Alaska, did you have somebody with you? Like, did you have? Yeah. So there was another another person or um, like a guide or somebody with you. No, so we didn't have a guide, but it was one of my best friends growing up that I have probably more trust in him and I feel safer with him than anybody. And I don't know why, but, uh, <laughs> we, we work well together. And so it was me and him. And then I had a cameraman with me. And, um, so it was the three of us and we just made it a, a rule cause we knew at some point we'd get comfortable. And we said that if you're going down, even get water from the creek you're always having your bear spray your gun with you. Yeah. And like when we were, when we were butchering our caribou, one face, one way, one face, the other, nobody was walking meat back towards camp by themselves. Like we just were really cautious with it. Yeah. And we did have one day I woke up and we're walking around camp and I, uh, all of a sudden I was like kind of looking at the ground and Michael, my buddy, he saw it too. And he, I'm like, is that, is that a grizzly track and pile of shit that's pretty fresh? 
and he's just like trying to keep me walking because yeah. he would be like, you know, if, if someone says they're not afraid of that and they've never been around grizzlies, they're lying. They're just yeah. trying to sound tough. It's it's definitely unnerving. Yeah. Um, and so we had one come through camp. They never bothered us uh, or anything, but we we saw quite a few of them. Um, the the one thing that was crazy was the first day we saw two grizzlies up on the saddle just feeding these blueberries, and then we saw caribou that were bedded up above them. And all of a sudden the storm rolls in, storm rolls out and there's no grizzlies, but the caribou are still there. So we're like, oh, we can see this whole front hillside. The grizzlies must have went over the back. Like we're okay. We'll go up and we had to run that way to the stock. Once we got over there, what we didn't realize was those were alders that were eight to 10 foot tall, not two foot tall, what they look like from, from the spotting scope. So it was, it was, uh, that was probably the the most that I felt kind of, uh, a little bit nervous, I'd say, to say the <laughs> least, as I was going through there, like, you know, anything felt like anything could happen, but just try to be prepared and be with a group of people. I, I would definitely not feel as comfortable if I was by myself, not oh, yeah. even close. I, I wouldn't go by myself, period. No. So. <laughs> yeah. Maybe at some point, but I'm, I'm not man enough at this point to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, those are, uh, those are a couple of my, uh, dream, dream hunts there's something about like just like the wide open like i don't get me wrong i like going up uh up in the tree line chasing elk and like the dark timber and stuff but i also love that like there's something about the plains or just the wide open where you can see yep. unto infinity basically um that i really like and hence why i like like the south dakota mule deer hunts or um you know potentially going to alaska like up in the tundra or whatever so I don't know, man. I'm, uh, and just out of curiosity, how old are you? Um, I'll be 29 here in right. like three weeks. All right. So you're, <laughs> you're, you're still young. You still have time. Like I'm, I think I just started my clock. I'm 40. Right. And I've had some sports injuries and I got shitty knees, but I'm in relatively good shape, uh, to do start doing this. So I'm, I got a window of like 10, 15 20 years if i hold myself together with duct tape basically until i'm 60 (laughs) to get some of these high impact hunts done you know what i mean yep so (laughs) you know what one thing i'll say about what you just said right there was when we were when me and my hunting partners were kind of looking at hunts for this year i was like you know if we weren't going to draw we were planning on doing the missouri river breaks elk in montana but then with Idaho selling out early we figured it'd be a lot more applicants and didn't know if we'd draw and I'm like well we our fallback plan could be North Dakota mule deer I was like and whitetail I'm like that would be fun and my cousin said to me he's like you're not getting any younger Bo let's try to do these hard hunts right right right, all right that makes sense we'll go to Colorado (laughs) yeah just get after it yeah yep so, well, I tell you what, man, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on and uh, BS with me for a while. Um, if people want to listen to your podcast, where can they find it? Yeah, they can find it anywhere podcasts are found. It's just called East Meets West Hunt. And then my website is eastmeetswesthunt.com. You can find all of the, the films at Alaska Hunt that I was talking about. That's all on film there. Um, you can find all of it there. And then anything else that that I do is over on my social media, just at bow.martonic or just at East Meets West Hunt for all the podcast stuff. So that's uh, probably the best places you can find me. Perfect, man. Well, I tell you what, thanks again for coming on and good luck this upcoming season.
Yeah, you too, Dan. It was uh, good talking to you. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another episode in the books. Huge shout out to Bo. Uh, Go check out his podcast. Huge shout out to all of you. Thank you very much for taking time out of your day to hop on the, uh, the, you know, the Nine Finger Chronicles and give it a listen. Uh, be sure you're subscribing on iTunes or wherever you download your podcast. I'm, I'm pretty much all over the place. Be sure you're subscribed to the Sportsman's Nation feed as well because there's a ton of great content that comes through there. Instagram, Facebook, nine, both Nine Finger Chronicles. Make sure you're following along on social because I do a lot of uh, uh, stories and other cool things through the social platforms. And uh, that's it. So uh, please go out, be a good person, help your neighbor, uh, good vibes in, good vibes out. And it's time right now to start planning for the upcoming season. So get that taken care of and we'll talk to you next time.